On podcast 1862, the MG EX4, the first Chevy Blazer shipped to the US, and the Ford Fiesta could return as an EV. Stick around, I'll tell you more. Also on the podcast today, Kia's big US investment in the EV9. That's their big SUV. Bad news for Van Moof. They make electric, they did make electric bicycles. And right to charge laws could be a game changer for apartment and condo dwellers. Well, trying a new things, you know when to expect a show. We go live at 5pm UK, that's midday Eastern. Patreon supporters get the episodes as soon as they are ready and ad-free. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, wherever you're listening in the world. EV News Daily is your trusted source of EV information for Thursday, 13th of July. My name is Martin Lee, and I go through every EV story, some of thousands of links a day sometimes, so you don't have to. I'm here to save you time. Well, we start with the MG4 uh, EX4, rather, that's a nod to the iconic Metro, MG Metro 6R4 rally car. At Goodwood Festival of Speed, MG revealed their homage to that legendary Metro rally car. They've called it the EX4, built on the new MG X-Power. Now, the MG4 X-Power is the hot version, the hot hatch, hatch version of the MG4. Four, yeah, it costs 35 grand, but there's nothing like it that's going to give you that level of performance. I had a missed call from Hendy of Pool today, and I thought, ooh, I wonder why, because I, uh, you know, still own the MG uh, ZS EV, I thought, I wonder why they're calling me. Are they asking, would you like to put a deposit down, sir, for an MG4 X Power? Uh, the answer would be yes, I very much would. Please speak to my wife. Uh, who will veto that one? Now, the MG4 X Power has 429 horsepower, dual motor, uh, 0-62 miles an hour, 3.8 seconds. Uh, the rally version, the concept version that MG unveiled today, large rear spoiler, chiselled front wing, wide box wheel arches, a nod to that legendary MG Metro rally car. The features won't be seen on production cars, but they do indicate the brand's renewed focus on performance, which I think is so cool to see. It's MG looking at their heritage, even though they're owned by the Chinese these days, and the EX name reinforces this. The last MG concept car to carry that was the EXE back in 1985 and the Metro 6RF was developed in the early 1980s to compete in the World Rally Championship, the old Group B rule set when Group B was just unleashing monsters. And I love that. I love that MG are doing cool, funky, interesting things. I'll probably say exactly the same thing on this podcast tomorrow, because on the schedule tomorrow is the Ionic 5N version. Now, the embargo just lifted on that, so I could have technically put it in today's podcast, but it was kind of written. So that'll be the headline tomorrow. Uh, But I just love that these companies are doing interesting stuff at a price point that isn't, you know, the Tesla Model S Plaid. Crazy bonkers performance. And just concept stuff is, is, you know, is cool if we don't spend too much time uh, focused on it. A bit like the Caterham, Caterham Project V, an electric sports coupe, the British car speciality car firm, I'll call them that, Caterham, has announced the Project V on sale in 2026. Unlike other Caterhams, it's designed like a real sports coupe with a roof and doors. Otherwise, you wouldn't normally get those on a Caterham. Uh, and Caterhams are great. You know, you can use them for just sort of spec series of racing and um, obviously on, on the roads, the two-seaters, the, the big style with the big bonnet out front. You know what I'm talking about with the almost the open wheels, that style of Caterham. But this, the Caterham Project V, will be all electric, 250 miles of range, 55 kilowatt hour battery, 
268 horsepower motor on the rear axle, 0 to 62 miles an hour, 0 to 100 k's is 4.5 seconds, top speed 143 miles an hour. Not designed as a grand tourer, so that's why they're only um, sort of targeting that 250 miles of range on the WLTP test cycle. It's 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 a Sunday, it's a weekend, it's a fun car that comes out of the garage and you blat it around and you put a ton of smiles on your face. But hey, if you want to daily drive this one to go get a pint of milk and six eggs that's also cool the project v has three drive modes normal sport and sprint and it features a control arm suspension at the front and rear uh, electrically assisted power steering brake discs all round uh, staggered 19 and 20 inch wheels with michelin pilot sport 4s tires and the project v goes on sale the end of 25 so they're going to deliver in 2026 uh, so the price in case you're wondering a hundred and three thousand US dollars equivalent, depending on your local currency. Hmm. Yeah, that's a lot of money. But things like the Caterham Seven, you know, legendary. And if they can make this legendary in EV form, then it's going to be super good. Now let's talk about General Motors and their plant in Mexico made the first sellable Chevy Blazer EV in late June. I talked about that on this podcast. They put a picture on their their Facebook page for the plant which I found. I thought it was very cool that they were allowing the employees to post on their own Facebook page um, a picture of them all standing around the first blazer they built in Mexico for a customer. And that vehicle is now on its way to the United States. Uh, They're making 65 blazers per hour. This is the SUV from GM. 65 every hour. There's 4,000 people working on it, half of, uh, in the plant rather, half of whom are just doing the EV stuff. You get the Blazer EV in a bunch of trims, the 1LT, the 2LT, the RS, the SS. Um, the 2LT and the RS will start deliveries now. The SS will come in spring 2024. That's the high-performance version. Entry-level Blazer EV 1LT has been pushed back to about 18 months away, I think, So from what I'm hearing at least, so next next winter. Besides the four trim levels, there's going to be the Police Pursuit Vehicle, the PPV, for law enforcement agencies, uh, up to 320 miles of range on the Blazer, single motor or dual motor, and uh, the single motor rear wheel drive and a single motor front wheel drive on different variants, which is interesting. Don't spec the front wheel drive on an EV. I mean, you could, but get the rear wheel drive version um, or the dual motor. Blazer EV SS high performance has been pushed back as well, but I think it still comes next spring. Now, GM's EV sales really, really uh, being held up by the Bolt, which is about to be discontinued. They're kind of in trouble in terms of numbers. The sales of their EVs fell from 19,700 in the first three months of the year to just 15,000 in the second quarter of the year. GM really needs to start selling some new EVs in good numbers and not relying on the Bolt and the Bolt EUV, which, like I say, are are going. Let's move on. And look, here's a story. If you do own one of these, you might know about it already. Really sad story. Van Moof, the e-bike startup, has applied for an official suspension of payments in the Dutch courts because of financial difficulties. This is not bankruptcy, and it's not administration. It's kind of the step before. It's a scheme in the Netherlands to provide protection from creditors uh, to help avoid bankruptcy. There's a cooling down period of two months and Van Moof and their management are assessing the situation. It's really sad they run out of money. Um, they've got service centres all around the world. Lots of people ride these Van Moofs. They're, they're the e-bikes with a cool circular, tubular, I should say, tubular frame 
but they're so tightly integrated to the app. Um, Van Moof bikes are amazing and expensive and amazing. But so much of the experience is on that company not going bust, on the app working, and you ride the bike with the app. And so much of the experience is done through the cloud, through the app, connected experience. What happens when the owners and and creators of that company go bust, if they do? You can still unlock the bike with a like a pin code, actually on the handlebar, and it will still be a bike, obviously, but not really the bike you bought. Uh, they've shut down the physical stores, uh, not servicing anymore, which is an issue because these van moofs are so tightly integrated into... They're all spec parts. They're not typical e-bike parts, which makes them so cool, but really only van moof can service them, and they've closed their service centres. If they do go bust and don't find a buyer, uh, then all those bikes lose their connected functionality they can still be used. Um, they've been facing a backlash for a while now with one in 10 bikes returned after purchase because of issues. Now let's talk Kia and a big investment, $200 million investment into their Georgia plant. There they're going to build their big SUV, the EV9. I love this vehicle so much. The plant will begin production of the EV9 later this year, part of a broader trend of foreign automakers increasing North American production to qualify for federal EV tax credits, $7,500 under the Inflation Reduction Act if they're assembled there in North America. And the batteries have got all the right bits in as well. Hyundai owns Kia, and that motor group is collaborating with the battery company SK On to make a new battery manufacturing plant in Georgia. SK has also opened a $2.6 billion battery plant in the state to make batteries for Ford. The investment creates about 200 new jobs at the Georgia plant to build the EV9 and other models there as well. EV9 is the first Kia to be made in the United States. The first Kia EV, which I be specific, <laughs> making cars a long time there. The first Kia EV to be made in the United States. I think anyway, if I'm wrong, correct me. Kia's investment aligns with their goals to increase their EV sales. And the goal is supported by a $24 billion investment overall and what Kia is spending to electrify. Now, let's talk a little bit about Ford, the Fiesta. And the Fiesta model recently came to the end of a legendary run. But according to Martin Sander, Ford of Europe's boss, they could bring the Fiesta back as an EV. And why not? That name, that, that Fiesta name is a small city car. At least that's what it means to us is so legendary. The last car rolled off the Cologne um, assembly line. The last car in Europe, I think, was made in Germany. However, uh, Ford have hinted at the potential revival on an EV platform. Now, I do know that Volkswagen's MEB platform, or the MEB entry platform, is something that Ford have looked at, and and they might have even done the deal. I know they've got to make two cars in Europe on MEB. Um, Ford is looking at the feasibility of that one of those being the Fiesta, and it would be very, very cool. Ford's collaboration with Volkswagen already resulted in that platform for the um, Ford Ranger, uh, the Volkswagen Amarok, those cars. And so they think that Ford and VW do work together. That would be very, very cool. Uh, Ford is working on a second-generation EV platform to debut in the US with a pickup and a three-row SUV. They will bring that platform to Europe, and so we'll get more of those US cars, I think, over here, which would be very cool. Right, stick around, taking a, a, a little break. And then when we come back, we'll talk about right-to-charge laws, NEOs, ET5 and ET7, and uh, new legislation to ensure that EV charging networks are reliable. If you'd like this podcast ad-free, uh, that's where the Patreon really sorts 
you out for five dollars, ten dollars. That's a, a couple of two posh coffees a month, and that puts this show on the air. It supports my work, genuinely pays my bills, and thank you very much to everyone who supports the show. Is as a, as a way of getting uh, the show quicker than otherwise, and also getting it ad free. You can sign up on Patreon, although you can't today because I temporarily paused sign ups while I refund last month's money because I was away because of reasons and so don't do it today but if you're thinking about it give it a couple of days and I'll reopen the Patreon once I've refunded everybody from last month wasn't here because of stuff uh stick around back in a sec okay let's talk Texas putting the brakes on EV charging funds decision because of the Tesla NAX connector the state of Texas has deferred a vote on allocating federal funds for building EV chargers until mid-August the decision comes amid pushback from charging companies over the state's plan to include Tesla's NAX connector in the stations the controversy arises from the fact that Tesla's charging stations use that NAX connector and it means that non-Tesla EVs can't use things like well, most of the Tesla superchargers without an adapter which isn't available yet and the decision to defer the vote is certainly probably a, a, a mini, mini victory for the charging companies that have been lobbying hard to say that that the federal funds that are being spent on chargers in Texas, which Texas want to be NAX chargers, because, you know, Tesla uh, and Texas having a little love in, and the other charging companies saying, well, hang on a minute, don't just discount Chadamo and CCS. The funds in question are part of a $7.5 billion federal grant for infrastructure, which Tesla is, uh, Texas is eligible to receive some funds. Uh, their plan was to build 4,000 new charging stations across the state, and they went all in with saying, yeah, put Tesla Nax connectors on them, and the others went, oh no, hang on a second. So that has been deferred a bit. Now, the adoption of EVs in the United States is growing, with over 3.6 million EVs on the road, but if you live an apartment or condo or a rental, finding an available charger to bolt onto your wall and connect to the electricity can be challenging sometimes. Several states and cities are now implementing what's a so-called right-to-charge law to make it easier for residents in a multi-unit dwelling to have those EV chargers installed. Illinois, for instance, recently passed a right-to-charge law requiring all parking spaces at new homes and multi-unit dwellings to be wired up at least for then EV chargers to be added at a later date. Colorado, Florida, New York and more have passed similar laws. Despite these advancements, there's so many challenges remaining if to put a charger, a personal charger into your space can be so expensive if the wiring isn't in place in a apartment block. Uh, homeowner association rules, restrictions, they all get in the way. Shared charging could be the answer, but all of a sudden, a centralised charging management system where different people charge at different times and they get billed becomes very complicated but it can be done and the future of charging at those kind of places where many people live obviously uh, needs to be more efficient and able to be done at times when renewable energy is on the grid and the expansion of charging in these kind of places uh, will certainly lift one of the big barriers to EV adoption the best place to charge an EV is at home I know that we all go loopy loopy gaga don't we over DC fast charging um and I'm guilty of it as well because, you know, a new car will come out at, char- you know, charges at 200 kilowatts. And I'll go, oh, well, it could be 250 kilowatts. That's not very fast, is it? I mean, that's only 200 kilowatts. And, oh, this charger, oh, Tesla V3 chargers aren't as good as the V4 chargers. And it's like, get over yourself. The best place to charge a car is at home. And, yeah, if you do 50,000 miles a year, EVs might not be for you, by the way. But also, but if they are, if you want to drive an EV and you do a a ton of miles then 
we need to get the infrastructure right for you. But if you are like the majority of people, and certainly like me, um, home charging where you live overnight, when it's cheaper, when it's greener, that is where all charging should happen. All destinations. So if you're at work, if you do go back to the office, your car should charge there. If you're in you know, California or Las Vegas, where it's sunny all day and the grid is renewable daytimes, not overnights. And so that's where we should be charging. We all get really, really into DC fast charging and Tesla connectors, although that's interesting as an aside, uh, because the Tesla connector can do AC and that would be the one plug to rule them all in, in at least in the United States. And so, but let's talk more about where our cars charge when they're, when we're not on a road trip, which is nearly all of the time for most of us. And so let's think about that a little bit more and let's get these uh, these sol- these problems solved. Now, let's talk about NEO. And the ET5 and the ES7 have done really well in the Euro NCAP safety tests. Uh, in Europe, it's going to be known, the SUV will be known as the EL7 for reasons, uh, not to sound like uh, similar vehicles owned by Germans. Um, they've both received the highest possible five-star rating, and the Euro NCAP safety tests get more difficult as time goes on, by the way. So a five-star now is not a five-star from years ago. Um, the ET7 sedan also got a five-star rating. So it's good to know these Chinese cars coming in, you know, if people say to you, oh, yeah, but Chinese stuff is crap, isn't it? It's just, you know, knockoffs. And No, not at all. It's really, really good. Uh, ET5 and el Seven, the only two models to have participated in Euro NCAP uh, this year with the new higher 2023 standards and ratings. Much more, di- more challenging, more difficult for vehicles to score well, but they both did very well in all the usual occupancy, child occupancy, road users, safety assist, etc., etc. Uh, the... Uh, the vehicles themselves, the ET5 is the sedan, low-priced sedan, ET5, uh, released in China back in December 21. I may be wrong on that. And uh, delivery started in September of the following year, last year, in other words. And then the ET5 was out last year in in uh, in a couple of markets in Europe. The ES7, that was first out in China last year, and that came to Europe at the end of last year, but what with Audi saying we don't think we should you know you should call the vehicle the ES7 because we call cars a bit like that uh, they then had to call it the EL7 I don't know Audi being Audi uh, threw their toys out of the pram uh, first delivery of the EL7 in Europe was back in January okay let's move on and let's talk about new legislation in the United Kingdom The government wants new laws to require that our EV rapid chargers will have a 99% reliability rate and must offer correct real-time status updates. The public charge point regulations will improve the charging experience for EV owners and eliminate range anxiety, they say. The government here want a world-class charging grid. They always have these big, wonderful statements, don't they? Regulations will emphasise the need for charging units to be capable of being in constant use and always working and providing real-time data to anyone driving towards one. The new laws here in the UK will mandate the increased availability of contactless payment systems. Every new public charger that's 8 kilowatts or faster must be contactless. 
And that's a big bit of legislation. And that eliminates the need for drivers to use a smartphone app. Charging firms must allow customers to pay via a third-party provider as well. Charging firms must display the cost of using the kilowatts, uh, the kilowatt hour in pence, either on the charger or on a device that must be accessed without a contract. Charging firms could face a fine of £10,000 per unit that they own and operate if they don't comply. So my thought there is, are Tesla going to put contactless card readers, which always break because contactless card readers are terrible on EV chargers, on all of theirs? No, they're not. Does the use of the Tesla app, which is so so seamless and wonderful and brilliant. All you've got to do is have a Tesla account and you rock on up in your non-Tesla. You may know this already. You drive in your non-Tesla to a Tesla supercharger that's open to third-party cars and you say what you're at, 1A, 1B, 2A, 2B, yada, yada, uh, and you plug it in and it starts charging and it bills the card, normally on Apple Pay or something, on your Tesla account. This new UK government legislation which says that all chargers must but eight kilowatts or faster must allow the customer to pay via a third um, uh, uh, to pay via a card contactless and not use a smartphone app. Will that stop Tesla UK and the third party rollout? That's my question. So if you've done any more thinking about this, if you're a Tesla owner, if you work in the charging industry and you, you know something that I'm missing or that I haven't connected the dots on, please let me know. Because I can't see a way around it. Tesla will not add card readers to all of their chargers. They are not doing that. Maybe I've missed something there. I'll think some more about that. Now, staying with Tesla, they're alerting that Model 3 buyers will be paying more money from next year. They've updated their website in the United States with a warning that the federal tax credit for the cars, because all the Tesla Model 3s are available with that federal tax credit, uh, may be reduced after December. Not that it will, but it may be reduced after December, only on the Model 3 page, not for Model Y. Uh, the $7,500 off if you take a delivery of a Model 3 this year, it's because the Model 3 meets the criteria. It's made here, and the battery is of the right cons- sort of constituent parts. But they're saying it might not happen next year. Is that scaremongering? Is that just bringing forward sales from people on the fence? Are they going to change the batteries inside them, and they're going to be the Chinese ones, and it won't, it won't apply anymore? And so they haven't specified why the Model 3 might, not will, might lose the incentives. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, the the CATL cells from China, uh, the LFP stuff, that could be impacted, I I guess, if if there's regulations strict enough that it means that the Model 3 becomes ineligible. That would be a shame. All right, let's move on. Tesla uh, have looked at wireless charging so closely, they've made an acquisition. Tesla is acquiring a company called Wiferian. They are a wireless charging company since 2015 for vehicles and robots. Wiferian licensed the technology from Wytricity, and the details of the deal are not confirmed. Tesla's acquisition of Wiferian is interesting. Why would they do that? Why do they want wireless charging technology as part of Tesla's IP? Well, we'll wait and see. Maybe they'll offer wireless EV charging. Maybe for something like robo-taxis, where they, cars need to charge if there's no driver. Maybe for a, a use like semi-trucks or 
the robots. Can't stand talking about the Optimus nonsense. Um, but maybe that. So we'll wait and see. Now, Audi is in advanced talks with acquiring an EV platform rather than designing their own. I talked about this recently on the podcast. And now we know that it's SAIC, the Chinese company. And they want to acquire the platform owned by IM Motors, owned by SAIC to accelerate Audi's move into uh, EVs and their market share. The first time that Audi would buy a platform from a rival in China to shorten the development of launching new models. It was founded in 2020 by SAIC, um, and the company's first model was the IML7, which was out this year. Audi's interest in acquiring the EV platform itself is driven by its need to speed up new model launches because the Trinity program has been not just delayed, significantly delayed at Volkswagen. Audi offers two EVs in China on the MEB platform, Q4 e-tron, Q5 e-tron as well. But Audi sales in China are lagging. China also paves the way for global charging infrastructure. It's leading the way. And now in China, they call them piles, unfortunate word. But Chinese EV drivers have more piles to use than the rest of us. And the country's EV exports will reach 1.3 million this year. That's a doubling from last year. The growth of Chinese EVs in overseas markets like Europe and the US is positively influencing what the rest of us think of Chinese brands. And yet at home, they've got more charging places than anywhere else to charge their EVs. So EVs in China are going well at home and abroad as well. And Chinese companies uh, are gaining popularity in global markets with uh, with their charging technology as well. Things like uh, the charges for commercial and residential use. The overall charging market in Europe and the US is probably going to be worth something like $10 billion a year by the middle of the decade. And so everybody wants a slice of that. And Chinese companies not just wanting to sell you the car, but selling you your charger for your wall box as well. Right, final story. I thought you'd like this one. And despite the significant attention on hydrogen, one company who knows a little bit about energy and making money from energy, uh, that would be BP. BP says hydrogen, no, there's no future in that for road cars. Uh, Their market potential assessment has been released and for road transport, it's non-existent. Now, not that hydrogen might not have a use in aviation or heavy shipping or something like that. But for the cars that we drive day in, day out, bearing in mind this is a company that makes money selling you the fuel that you drive on. Like, you would think the oil companies want to go from one model where you drive your car to their place, where you refill at their prices that they set on a fuel that you can't make at your house. You would think that BP would be fully behind hydrogen because having solar panels on your roof or, you know, making your own electricity and charging your your EV at home doesn't suit them. But even BP say hydrogen for road cars, non-existent. In their scenario, they look forward from 2035 to 2050. They say the market share of hydrogen for light vehicles is zero and that 70% of them in 2035 will be entirely on electricity. Uh, Fuel cells in passenger cars, they say, play no role. The BP forecast sees CO2 reduction achieved with battery electric cars not using hydrogen and the remnants of internal combustion with perhaps um, some other technologies in there as well. BP's hydrogen plans target process that are difficult to electrify. Steel is one. Chemical industries 
uh, another, their own oil refineries. That's not to say that hydrogen hasn't got a place. We need to be more nuanced about this and get over the, the hysteria that people have around hydrogen and thinking that it has any place at all in the road cars that we'll be driving. It doesn't. Even BP, of all people, say it has, it's non-existent in their, their forecast between now and 2050. They give it a zero score. And so we need to stop it. Stop government. Stop newspapers. Stop your crazy uncle on Facebook who talks about hydrogen being the future. Even BP say, no, it's not. It, it, it might be in some, in some cases for some industries, but not for road travel. Let's stop it. And when you hear it done, you should stamp it out as well. I don't think it's going to work. I think there's plenty of crazies out there that believe in this stuff for the cars that we drive. Bless them. Right, they can put their tinfoil hats back on now. And we'll say thank you for listening to the podcast. Our premium partners, Phil Roberts of Electric Future, Porsche of The Village in Cincinnati, Audi of Cincinnati East, Volvo Cars of Cincinnati East, National Car Charging on the US mainland and Aloha Charge in Hawaii, Derek Riley's EV Review Ireland YouTube channel, Octopus Electroverse, Global Public Charging Made Simple with One App and One Map, and Lease Plan Electric Moments, providing all the tools and guidance EV drivers need Holy moly, it's a long one today. Sorry, I'll be shorter tomorrow. Have a good one, see you tomorrow. And remember, there's no such thing as a self-charging hybrid.